With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Forecast. I'm Post Media National Golf writer John McCarthy, here with Toronto Sun Golf writer Dave Hilson. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. The Forecast is brought to you by Callaway. Learn more about how to up your game at callawaygolf.ca. Great to have you back in the studio, John. Yeah, it's great to be back. I was gone for a little over a week in Port Rush at the Open Championship. Was Saw every kind of weather imaginable to man. It's pretty wonderful to see Shane Lowry win that. Yeah, it was a it was a great champion. It was a, it was a great week. I think everything came off perfectly for them. Um, didn't come off perfectly for Rory McIlroy though, and a lot has happened since then. Even yeah, Rory's been struggling a little bit, at least with uh, well starts and finishes. I couldn't believe the way he went out at the British Open there, quadruple bogey on the first hole. That was it. Was he was done pretty much? Yeah, I know. I, I was trying to figure out if if that first hole hadn't happened. Would it have been a completely different event, or was was that day gonna you know get to him no matter what? But I mean, he had a great showing Friday. Couldn't quite make the cut, and then again we had this great setup this past week on Sunday. Him and Brooks Kepka in the final group for the first time in their career together. All the build up, and then it sort of uh, fizzled out quick. Yeah, I I haven't been more excited about a final pairing in. Uh well a long long time and to see Rory just disappear so quickly it was shocking really he shot 62 on Saturday yeah to take get himself the lead one stroke lead over Brooks heading into Sunday and then he just did nothing yeah and here you have like the two best players in the world and they have to be in completely different spots in their head right now I mean Brooks Kepka feels looks like he and probably feels like he can take on the whole world and nobody can beat him now you got Rory McIlroy, who has you know laid an egg in the maybe the most important tournament of his life in Portrush, and then, I mean, bad putter, but laid laid another egg on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Rory obviously there's something going on in his head because you don't go out and do what he did at the British Open without just pure purely being nerves. And as far as the Sunday at uh, the WGC event, do you think that he let? Brooks get into his head a little bit was there intimidation there is it just something's going wrong with him yeah I don't know if it's as much Brooks getting to him or just whatever his mindset is now in big events at at the most stressful moments he's he's not being the Roy McIlroy that we saw you know at the Canadian Open when he's firing made the best golf of his career but he has had this new mindset and he's been preaching it all year sort of uh I, I'm more than just a golfer. I'm not going to take my golf home with me. Golf isn't everything. 
but then, and it's worked for most of the year. I mean, he gets a top 10 everywhere he goes. He's won twice. He won the Players' Championship, but all four majors, he hasn't contended in any one of them. And then under the gun on Sunday, you know, he, he doesn't show up. So, and he even, he even admitted sort of, he admitted on Tuesday before, you know, before falling apart on Sunday, he admitted on Tuesday that perhaps this attitude he has in majors isn't, uh, it isn't the right attitude for majors. His quote was, I almost tried to downplay the majors this year, tried to treat them like every other event, and I've realized they're not. They're not like any other event. You need to have a certain mindset. You need to prepare differently. I tried a sort of different strategy this year. It didn't quite work for me. Just have to reassess that going forward. So to me, that's a pretty, um, for a guy who's been preaching this new mindset all year, that's, that's quite a comment. Yeah, it really is. But you wonder if it's sort of like different strokes for different folks, because Brooks says anyway that he go now he he kind kind of contradicts himself, but he says basically he treats the majors just like he does any other tournament. Yeah. On the other hand, he only practices for the majors. <laughs> he says so. I think it, it's very an individual thing how you approach these tournaments, right? Yep. I remember during the British Open, the announcers were talking about DJ coming in and acting as if it's just another event which it doesn't really seem to work for him. But if you get too hyped up about them, if you treat them like they're something really, really special, so much more than any other tournament, then maybe you psych yourself out. And Rory certainly psyched himself out in Ireland, There's no, in Northern Ireland. There's no doubt about that. Because you don't go out and shoot a quadruple bogey on the first hole unless it's just nerves. And a triple on the last hole. And a triple on the last hole. I think he's got a lot of thinking and soul-searching to do before. And it's, the thing is, he's got eight months before he shows up at the Masters. You can only imagine how many times he's going to be going over the same thing in his mind in the next eight months. And the Masters is always the one that has him the most under the gun because he's been trying since, you know, he has had five shots now to complete the career Grand Slam. And he started at the Masters on Thursday, Friday. He didn't break 70. And then at the PGA Championship, first two rounds, didn't break 70. So he's getting off to bad starts. And and whatever whatever this new philosophy is, whether it's he's sort of zen-like, you know, he's meditating, he's, uh, he's trying to be more Rory the man than Rory the golfer. Golf isn't everything, but I think I think he's psyching himself at ma- out at these majors, possibly. Yeah, he must be. And you wonder how this is going to affect his legacy a bit. Like, I mean, he's only 30, so he's still got lots of time, but he hasn't won a ma- He won two majors in 2014. That's the last time he won a major. Nobody expected that. I don't think anybody thought Rory McIlroy, McElroy was going to go five years without winning another major and you know by if his career ended today by any measure he's had a great career he's won four majors hasn't completed the grand slam as you said but he's got i think 16 pga tour wins another handful of uh european tour wins so he's had a great career but it's not the career people thought he was going to have and if this is how it ends or if he doesn't improve much then he had a good career not a great career yeah and I think that it's all—it's a little harder for him to put things. He's got a lot of work to do to get things back where he wants them to be. Because guys like so Jordan Spieth, he, you know, he's been struggling, but he's been able to convince himself, and it's mostly true with Jordan. It seems like it's a lot of it's technical, but with Rory, everything's there. I mean, yeah, he's not putting great, but he's sort of always been a streaky putter. But the swing, the game—that's all there, and it just happens to be the majors. And, you know, and the big Sunday event here with Brooks that he didn't quite show up. So it's 
looks like it's 100% mental, which is probably a little scarier position to be in than when, you know, you can bring a coach in and convince yourself that it's just a, it's a physical thing and we'll get through it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny we're having this conversation about a guy that has won twice, as you said, and has 12 top 10s this season, but he's not living up to his potential. Yeah. And he said earlier in the year that he feels a lot better off the course with this new attitude, um, not taking the game home with him, and it's allowed him to play more consistent golf. But he even wondered, this was before the Players' Championship, he wondered perhaps if it's going to be good for his golf game because being a really volatile player where you have, you know, you peak really high and then you have some lows, that's sort of what he used to be. Yeah. That's a good way to win tournaments. It's also a good way to miss some cuts, but... When you're flying high and, and going really low, you can win tournaments, you can miss cuts. And he did that for most of his career and won a lot of tournaments. This sort of super consistency, he wasn't sure if it was going to be better for his golf game. It, it looked like it was when he won the players. And he's, he's had a great year, second in the FedEx Cup standings. At the end of the day, as Brooks Kepka will tell him, it's all about the majors. That's right. And I think, um, you know, Brooks says uh, that, you know, he cares more about the majors than anything else. But I think him picking up this WGC win was a pretty big deal for him as well right yeah i mean brooks doesn't like it when anyone basically any, you know anytime anyone says anything about him he uses it as fuel so the recent storyline has been he doesn't care enough about regular tour events so finally i guess that that got under his skin enough that he said okay here i'll i'll win this one and not only win it i'll go head to head against rory mcelroy and you know not flinch and show up 45 minutes before my tea time yeah that's amazing too right how he yeah, like the, I remember the announcers were going, uh, where's uh, Brooks? He's not here yet. I guess he wasn't feeling very well. So, And he says that he was already prepared, so there wasn't much he had to do, really. But right now, I mean, he won. He was player of the year last year. He's yep. got to be player of the year this year. I mean, yep. the only thing that could dethrone him from being player of the year is if Tiger maybe wins. The FedEx Cup? Yeah, yeah perhaps. I, I think you're right, though. Kepka's by all accounts, he will win player of the year. And uh, going back to the British, it was... Uh, it was a great event, and I think we did get a great winner. Uh, I guess we'll revisit that. I had a great time there. Um, yeah. I love covering British Opens or the Open Championship, as I got plenty of emails every time we referred to it as the British Open that we should call it the Open. So, um, But w- one of my favorite, funniest memories was on uh, on Sunday. So you know how they they sort of let the crowd come out on the fairway yeah. behind Lowry and and so I was, I was inside the ropes walking basically level with, with Lowry. And then I looked behind me and I saw, you know, thousands of people running up behind me. And then they start pulling across the giant. Does, have you seen the rope they pull across? Yeah. So it's about six inches thick. It's like it, you don't want to get stuck behind that because you're not getting forward. So I was looking at it. And it was almost like I was in one of those action movies where, like, the door is closing and I have to get there first. Uh, oh, yeah. So I, I look at it and realize I'm not going to get there fast enough unless I <laughs> break into a run. So if there's a wide shot of that last hole, you might if you see a guy... Uh, a, a, a five foot eight guy running full speed through the fescue to try and get there before the rope closes. That was me. <laughs> I just made it in time, and then I tried to get a picture of, of the you know mass of humanity behind me. But it was it was a great event, and I I just love covering the the opens over there. It was a pretty wild scene, and it was almost equally as wild on Saturday, really, when Lowry was. Uh you know, leading and everything. I thought the fans seemed just as hyped as they did on Sunday almost. Yeah, they did. They were singing songs about Lowry on Saturday. We could hear them from inside the media center. And then Lowry sort of taking part in, in all the fun. 
part of me was wondering, you know, is he enjoying this a little too much on Saturday? But I guess he was able to just feed off it all the way through Sunday. And by accounts of video at the bar, he was feeding off of it right till Monday. Yeah, that weather on the last day, though, eh? Horrific. Yeah, somebody said that you know it's raining hard when the rain goes up your nose. <laughs> <laughs> Gary McDowell called it Port Rush Armageddon. So that was those are about the two best descriptions of the rain. Do you think that brings the players together a little bit, knowing that they have all had to kind of, well, some of them didn't have to because they played earlier in the day, but the ones that had to endure that weather, that's something that they all did together. They know how hard it is for Lowry to keep it together under those conditions, you know? Yeah, and I think I think the guys that grew up there, obviously, they have an advantage, but I was trying to, one of the players was telling me that it's not just that, it's not that they're more willing to play in those conditions, it's that almost everywhere else in the world, when it rains that hard, it's, it's usually with lightning and thunder, right? and they can't play, but they get very little of that out there, so they just play in the rain because, you know, they don't get forced off the course, and the courses were sand-based, so they drain so well, they don't, it takes a lot to get pooling water, but, I mean, there was nobody more prepared for that kind of weather than Lowry. Yeah, but there was one point when it was coming down so hard, I was thinking, like, are they going to continue in this? Because it was just incredible. But it only lasted like that after a couple holes, I guess. So. Yeah. One other storyline that was going on at the British Open was driver testing. Um, we had Xander Shoffley was one player who was a little upset that his driver came out as uh, as being over the limit. Several players were talking about it. None of them wanted to go on the record talking about it. But, you know, I'd heard enough from several players that it was, uh, there was numerous drivers from numerous different companies that, that tested over the limit. And not many of the guys I talked to, you got a general sense that people aren't really thrilled with the testing process. Okay. So they tested 30 drivers, and the number that came out was, I think, four of them tested over. But if you sort of extrapolate that into the field, that means you have probably 20 drivers that are over the limit playing, and only some of them got their drivers taken out of their hands. And, I mean, it's it's a very important event to... Uh, to all of a sudden be told you have to you know bring a backup driver into play. Yeah, definitely. There is a you know people trying to think of a better way to do it, or if there's the general thought is perhaps you don't do it at a major championship. Yeah, that that sounds reasonable to me. But uh, I know uh, Shoffley was upset that you know he he was selected for testing and other people weren't. I don't really know how you can test the whole field though. Yeah, I mean that's something they have to figure out. But it does seem, because it, it doesn't seem, it's not nothing like, you know, it's not like steroids where players are intentionally putting these, these drivers into play. Because from the numbers I was reading and, and everything I've been reading, that it's, it's basically the difference between a driver testing over and a driver that's legal to play. You're getting maybe half a yard. Um, so nobody's going to you know, risk getting their driver taken out of play for a half yard on their drives. So it does seem like it's quite a penalty for this select, you know, random group of players to to be tested when there's maybe 20 other players that get to keep playing their driver even though it's over the limit. I'm not sure what the answer is, but it does seem like players perhaps don't think a major championship's the, the right place to be tested. Yeah, and that seems reasonable. And I don't think these companies are trying to cheat either. I mean, they're trying to make sure that they're within the regulations and it seems like it's such a fine line because uh you know a driver that might test okay in uh in one of the equipment trucks then goes and fails the test uh, so it does seem like there's a lot of um it's a very i don't know fine-tuned machine that, that i'm not sure that if the testing is that can be different from one machine to another whether something needs to be done but it was a storyline at the open for sure 
This is a stroke of genius. The new Stroke Lab putters from Odyssey are engineered to build a better stroke. Odyssey completely rebalanced the putter by using a multi-material shaft that moved weight towards the head and the grip. You'll feel the difference immediately. And with every putt, you'll actually be building a better stroke. And a better stroke is what makes more putts. The new Stroke Lab from Odyssey, the number one putter in golf. Available in stores now. Learn more at odysseygolf.com. The news of this week, there's a couple things. We have the new schedules come out. Yeah. Um, one fun one fun thing before we get to the schedule is the Canadian Michelle Liu from Vancouver has qualified for the CP Women's Open at 12 years old. Yeah. <laughs> what? How does that make you feel? It makes me feel bad, John. It makes <laughs> me feel bad. A 12-year-old, that could kick my ass. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, amazing what the kids are doing these days. I mean, when we were younger... People were not shooting the scores they are today, I don't think. No, I, I mean, they're certainly getting better and getting better younger. So I, yeah. I talked to Michelle today, actually. She's playing in the Canadian Junior Championship. Um, she's delightful. She's more well... Not only is she a better golfer than you know, I am, she's probably more well-spoken than I am, which was also, <laughs> also a little bad. But no, she was great. She says she's once shot eight under, eight under par, her best round of her life. That's wild. And she can drive it, I think she said 230 or 240. That's like carry. I don't know if that... Maybe that's got to be roll, too. I don't yeah. know. Let's hope it's roll. It's got to <laughs> be roll. Anyhow, she's delightful. And she's so she's broke it. Her, uh, her favorite golfer, obviously, is Brooke Henderson. And she's broken Brooke's sort of record. Brooke was 14 when she played yeah. in the CP Women's Open. She's going to be 12, and she's looking forward to playing in Magnus. So we'll be sure to catch up with her uh, in a few weeks' time when she's there. Yeah, absolutely. And just she'll, she will be 12 years, 9 months, and 6 days old when she tees it up. Now, there's actually somebody that played in an LPGA event as an 11 year old and something, which I mean, I, I, I can't, I don't know what I was doing when I was 11 and 12. I think I was just running around and bumping into things, but I know, well, I mean, I'm going to spend, if I have to spend the rest of my life trying to golf like a 12 year old girl now, I guess I will. <laughs> so uh, speaking of uh, the new schedule and whatnot, how do you feel? We touched on this before, but all four majors are behind us. And the regular season's going to be over at the end of August. We're talking men again here, but... Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a bit of mixed thoughts on that because originally I was like, it was sort of surprising, you know, it's the middle of July or towards the end of July and all four majors are done, Canadian Open's done, there's no Ryder Cup this year. But then I, looking at the schedule, the old schedule, it really, it's about a little more than two weeks earlier that the majors are ending because the PGA, you know, was, was quite quickly after the british so realistically it's about a two just over two weeks longer that we have to wait for the masters but it it sure does seem like it's going to be a bit of a a a quiet rest of the summer yeah after you get done with the fedex cup which they're trying to make it something and i mean there is some excitement there but once that's done at the end of august you've got a little bit of a break and then you go into the new season and my problem with it is it's a lot of kind of shempy tournaments, mm-hmm. and a lot of the top names don't play. So it almost seems like the reason these exist is for you know the lesser players to pick up some FedEx points and maybe win a tournament that they wouldn't win if if the top guys were playing. Yeah, I mean the new schedule actually has events added to it. There's now 49 tournaments, yeah, I believe. 49. Yeah, I think the reason they have these tournaments is because they've been able to get sponsors and they can continue to, you know, make money, but there is 
having basically no off season. I think the players would like a bit of an off season. I think um, the fans might even want a bit of an off season. People covering the sport, it is it is a year round sport. And you're right. I mean, these events. I think we're a bit lucky this year in that we're going to have some exciting. Uh, the kids are you know, Matthew Wolf, Victor Hovland, Colin Murakawa. These guys are going to provide excitement at tournaments that otherwise might not be exciting, but because these guys are great to watch. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. And like Mordecai won this past weekend. An opposite field event, yeah. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the opposite field events. I even wonder why they exist almost. Mm-hmm. You've got about four or five of them throughout the year. They're either playing with a WGC event or with uh, a major. And let's face it, all eyes are on the WGC event or the or the major. Nobody really cares about these other events, really. Like if you if you're honest, but on the other hand, it gives guys like him the opportunity to get a win under their belts. So yeah, I mean, the one thing I I do, I do like about the opposite field events is you do get sort of more of an opportunity for a life changing win because you know it's not the generally the regular faces that are winning them. Yeah. It's guys who who will win often will you know, get them their card, secure them their card, prolong their career, or they'll literally come out of nowhere to win. So in that respect, uh, you know, I do like them. But that said, you know, which do you end up watching? You end up watching the WGC or the major. Yeah, I can honestly say I don't think I've ever watched <laughs> one of those other <laughs> events for more than five minutes, probably. I, one thing I think they should do, not not opposite field events, but if we're not going to have an off season, if we're going to basically be playing PGA Tour golf all year round is in the fall, try to maybe get a little more creative with like some of the events on the European Tour, like bring in the shot clock event, bring in a, a team event, a men's and women's event, push the envelope a bit, try and get creative because I don't think there's anybody arguing that, you know, golf's doing too many wild and crazy things. So I think it would be to the benefit of everybody to test some new things out in these events that might not have as many eyes on them. Yeah. The other possibility, I guess, for the fall would be to bring in a couple of bigger uh, tournaments just to keep everybody's interest. Like there is a WGC event, but it's over in China. Not that that's terrible, but I'm not sure if it has quite the same uh, gravitas as the other ones. So, you know, possibility you throw the players in at the end in the fall, maybe. I don't know. Like, I know the NFL, or I know the PGA Tour has done a lot of this to work around the NFL schedule, right? Yeah. Because all eyes go to the NFL in the fall. On the other hand, if you're putting a bunch of tournaments on that people aren't watching anyway, are you achieving your goal? Over here, for sure, people are watching, you know, all eyes are on the NFL, but talking to some of the European golf writers, they're even more uh, upset or they just, they they don't like this new schedule because they don't care about the NFL. Right. For them, it just means, you know, golf's getting crammed in, you're getting uh, majors, you know, every month. And like Justin Rose was saying, he doesn't think there's enough time in between majors to yeah. properly prepare. So I think that's something that does need to be looked at yeah you can barely catch your breath and i think that happened with tiger a little bit between the masters and the pga championship mm-hmm. it was within a month of each other right so it's like you're just getting over the win and then you have to go out and do it again and he missed the cut i believe yeah. so um one thing about the new schedule is that it's slightly better for the canadian open this year coming year still slotted between the same tournaments but it's a week later so it won't start till i think the 11th of june oh i see so a better chance to get some 
better weather, although the weather was great this year, but generally the later into June you can go is good for a Canadian Open. Yeah, because, you know, here it can be a little bit iffy, right, the weather mm-hmm. in June, so... I guess another change with the schedule is the new uh, the new cut rule. Yeah, which I think is great. You've gone from seventy in ties down to sixty five in ties, and you're going to get you're going to eliminate the fifty four hole cut, which I think was always a little bit confusing anyway. So I think it's better you just make your cuts by Friday, and then everybody gets who's playing is going to play the rest of the weekend. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny I was talking. You know, been trying to write a story about slow play a few months ago, and I was asking some players about it. And there's so many, you get so many different answers about slow play. And Bubba Watson, who you don't normally necessarily go to for a deep, <laughs> deep reasoned answers, but his, he said simply, there's too many guys on the golf course. He says, uh, you, there's always going to be slow players. He's like, yeah, maybe they do need to be policed a little differently. But in his mind, it's just, just get fewer players on the golf course if you want to speed up play so perhaps that will help here how much do you think uh it affected Kapka at the british open on the final day playing with uh jb holmes and he's known to be a slow golfer and brooks didn't seem to like it very much no he, he certainly didn't i mean as for how it affected him he doesn't seem like a guy who gets uh affected by anything outside but probably if there's one thing that does get on his nerves it's slow play so that could be uh his kryptonite right right and we're getting into fedex cup playoff season there's one more event the windham uh the windham event this week that has brooks kepka already winning the two million dollar bonus for coming in first and not many guys in the field but yeah. the week after that we're at the northern trust and the playoffs begin and they're going to begin with the uh, number of canadians in the field so i think that's great well the good thing about the windham championship which uh replaces the old greensboro i think mm-hmm. in north carolina is that all the Canadians are entered in it, and you don't have a lot of the bigger names playing, like Brooks and Rory. They're not going to be... In fact, only one guy from the top 10 of the FedEx Cup, uh, Paul Casey, is going to be playing. So it's an opportunity for maybe guys that are still outside the line, Adam Svensson, David Hearn, both in the 170s, if they pick up a top three... They've got a chance to move inside the 125 and make it to the playoffs. Yeah, it will be. Uh, I mean, it'll take a lot for those guys to get in, like you said, a top three finish. But looking at the FedEx Cup standings, it's it's been a good year for the Canadians. Right now, we've got five guys inside the top 125. Connors, 31st. Hadwin, 41st. Sloan, who's come on strong recently, 91st. Mackenzie Hughes, 103rd, and uh, Nick Taylor at 114. So right. all in all, I think it's pretty good to have five Canadians inside the top 125. Yeah. Oh, yeah, fantastic. And they're all playing this week. So uh, it's interesting to kind of look. I, it'd be fun to talk to these guys and kind of uh, see what their strategies are this week and what they're trying to accomplish. If you're, you know, Corey Connors or Adam Hadwin, maybe your goal is just to put in a solid round, kind of maintain your position so mm-hmm. you know you're through. But you know, maybe Nick Taylor, Mackenzie Hughes that are in the hundred area, they want to yeah get up there. I know Hadwin is quite happy with his uh, position this year compared to last year. I know he had a good playoff last year, so it sort of he said it gave gave the impression that he had maybe a better year than 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 he did. He wasn't maybe I don't think I think he said he wasn't truly happy with last year's uh, result even though it was masked by a good playoff but he's 
he's in a good spot this year get going into it and he pl- was playing the best golf of the year going to the british his sort of his putter disappeared um but i think with the slow greens over there um he's he's sort of willing to give the putter a mulligan and hope that it comes back to him this week yeah five top tens for him this season pretty fantastic obviously you want to get a win and i would assume he'll you know if he could move into the top 30 after this week that it, that would yeah. be very uh, that'd be great uh, that'd be great yeah and then i guess the last thing we'll talk about is tom watson he sort of gave his swan song to the senior british open he's not going to play in any more of those he's not going to play in any more senior u.s opens he's he's 69 turning 70 uh do you have any thoughts on this golf legend I do. I remember when I was a kid, you know, and we'd be on the putting green at the golf course and, you know, somebody would always be, you'd, be, you'd have Jack in the group, mm-hmm. you'd have Tom Watson in the group, Ben Crenshaw. I like to play, I was Ben Crenshaw a lot. I don't know why. It kind of, <laughs> he was still a little bit, great golfer, but still a little bit of an underdog. Yeah. I like Tom. He's had a great career, obviously. Five open championships. Unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. And always seemed like an honest, level-headed guy, like no bull crap about him, you know. Uh, always respected him, and I and I think back to I guess it was ten years ago the two thousand nine British Open at Turnbury. Yeah, what might have happened? What would have been? I think the greatest golf story ever. Even better than Stuart Sink winning. Well, it's tough, but yeah, but even better than Tiger's Masters yeah. win. I would say if Tom could have won the British Open as a fifty nine year old who had had a hip replacement nine months before. <laughs> wow, I mean, I was on the couch on the edge of the couch the whole time watching that all he had to do was par the last hole hit an eight iron in beautiful shot he said he pured it perfectly in it so it went a little too far went to the back fringe yeah it just didn't stick yeah went off the back he was on the upslope and inexplicably instead of taking a wedge out because he's one of the great wedge players in the game he decided to putt yeah i guess he was nervous i don't know yeah he blew the putt by about 10 feet and then came up way short on the par putt, and then the playoff yes. happened. And you knew, you knew as soon as the playoff was going to start yeah. that he was done. It was Come over. On, but this can't be where we want to go with the signing off of Tom Watson's career. Let's talk about <laughs> the good times. I do. Uh, I like Tom Watson. I I like that he was uh, he was a sort of a no no nonsense throwback kind of guy. Yeah, no nonsense. So That's when right. he was uh, captain of the Ryder Cup, it, did, it didn't go very well for him in Glen Eagles. And you know, remember at the end, Mickelson throws him under the bus, um, and. I was sort of always the defender of him throughout that because he is the he's sort of like the old college football coach. He's like he's not going to coddle you. He's not going to he you know he he's not going to go visit you. Like I mean, Paul McGinley said he he visited every player in the year before the Ryder Cup and at their house to to get to know them. That's not what Tom Watson's going to do. Tom Watson's going to be like you know button you know button it out up your chin strap, get out there and beat these guys. And I mean, it was it's coaching from a different era. These guys are, you know, they're all sort of mini CEOs of their own brand. They don't want to be uh, yelled at by Tom Watson. But I kind of always, I just respect the, the, these throwback kind of guys who are, uh, you know, tough as nails. Uh, like I said, no nonsense. And that's what Tom Watson's going to be to me. And sort of how he got on with it in that in the conditions in the Open Championship was was always a true testament to the kind of guy he was. He was. He didn't care if it was raining, it's windy. Yeah, so that's going to knock some people out, but it's, he's just going to keep trudging on. And that's the, the image I have is of that sort of umbrella pointed out, fighting the wind and the rain and him just trudging forward. Yeah, an incredible career and we'll, we'll miss him. 
And with that, we'll say goodbye to another episode of The Forecast, and we'll be back next week. Look for me on Twitter. I'm at John McCarthy's son. And I'm Dave underscore Hilson. And we'll see you next week. Bye.